We've often spoken about the importance of maintaining a cheerful tone around us. But sometimes people find that inwardly, they're actually very harsh and demanding with themselves. In this episode, we'll discuss how to aim for the ideal of cheerfulness, but interiorly, with ourselves, our thoughts, and our emotions. I'm Sharif Yunus with Dr. Kevin Majors, and this is The Golden Hour. Our aim at OptumWork is to help you live according to your highest ideals. Our online masterclass presents our entire theory of growth in a clear and systematic way to help you do just this. In this four-week masterclass available on OptumWork.com, Dr. Majors will guide you through all the key ideas of OptumWork with exercises provided to help you master them. Now let's get started. Hey, this is Sharif Yunus here with another episode of The Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, great to be here with you again. Hey, Sharif. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, of course. Well, Kevin, we recently did an episode on cheerfulness, how to broadcast positive emotions. And one thing that you've been talking about to me recently, telling me about, is how to like turn this inward. Um, so it, it's been a really helpful idea for me. I'd, I'd like to hear more about it uh, and get to ask you some questions about it to understand it better myself. And I also think it would be really helpful for our listeners and viewers. So I thought we could dive into this idea of how to pursue cheerfulness interiorly. Yeah. Well, thanks, Trevor. It's, it, it's a very interesting topic. And maybe people could form in their minds this image they have of a person who outwardly seems to be sculpting a sense of being like cheerful and happy. and But you get a sense that's very constrained and effortful and that on the inside, they're actually very negative. Could you imagine someone like that? I think I can imagine that, yeah. Yeah. And so a person could be trying to be using like extreme effort and willpower to broadcast positivity while inside there's a lot of harshness going on. Okay, so then the, the question is, sometimes people think, well, then what do I do? Do I just keep on doubling down on the effortful display of outer cheerfulness? Yeah, because one... hope I hold it together? Yeah. yeah, one thing I would think at that point is, okay, that's actually a good thing because they're not letting their feelings determine their actions. And so they're, if they're broadcasting positivity eventually that will have a shaping power, like a, they'll habituate to that and just become cheerful. That would be, yeah, an, an idea that often people have, fake it till you make it. So that if you you know are acting outwardly cheerful, then eventually you're inwardly cheerful. Now, there's some truth to that in that at times, you know, you might momentarily fight a bit of moodiness, but if you can not let it affect your outer you know, behavior and your demeanor towards others, and it just comes and goes and it passes. But I think that what we're talking about here is what do you do when, in fact, what's happening on the inside, people who are like there to be really sincere would say, yeah, on the inside, it is all negative. You know, and I think that, well, you wouldn't definitely want them venting that because that's only going to inflict trauma on the people around them <laughs> if they're always, you know, letting their, their, you know, their inner state you know, of tension come out. But neither would you say that they're going to make it somehow be resolved just by being cheerful for others. So that's the conundrum that, that I wanted to get into today. Now, 
I think that one of the, the helpful ideal, you know, that we, you know, that we have for this is cheerfulness. We have to understand what it is and what its power is. In optimal work, we have this idea of true success. What does true success look like? And we have an exercise for helping people to see that. Uh, we might be updating that exercise, you know, in the, in the, uh, you know, weeks or months to come, uh, just to make it even more powerful. But the true success exercise is essentially helping people to think about, you know, overhearing a conversation where a person they're very close to is describing to someone else how well they, the person treat them. And you want to get at this idea of what are the ideals that somehow resonate the most with people. So often it's things like being patient, being kind, generous, forgiving. Okay, so now those are very beautiful and motivating ideals. Uh, and we talk about cheerfulness as the general setting or milieu in which all of those ideals are naturally lived. So that it's almost enough really to aim at maintaining a cheerful attitude, demeanor with others to facilitate living these, all of these ideals. So cheerfulness in that sense is the ordinary setting for love and being loving. But it's also true on the inside. Okay, so if we're going to be loving towards others while being merciless to ourselves on the inside, well, that's not going to work. Because in some way, how we treat others has to be patterned on how we treat ourselves. We're supposed to you know, love others as we love ourselves. So there's a sense here, you know, uh, in, you know, in uh, you know, traditions that are thousands of years old, that the patterning for how you treat others is actually how you treat yourself. So if you're actually better towards others than you are to yourself, I don't think that's sustainable in the long run. Mm -hmm. So, okay, this is interesting because it gets also to topics that we've discussed in the past of the inner critic or perfectionism. But there is this sense in which we should be tough on ourselves or demanding on ourselves, at least in my opinion, you know, up to maybe a week ago, uh, was that you should be kind of demanding on yourself and ask a lot of yourself. And I don't know, when, when you fail it or when you don't live up to these ideals or don't live them fully, as fully as you could, that you do want to point out, okay, that was wrong. I need to do better and try to strategize about how to do better. I guess not necessarily beating yourself up about it. So, so how how do you draw that line between what's going too far, what's the inner critic, what's perfectionism, what's and, and then what's what's this healthy way of of uh, challenging yourself? Yeah. As a, okay, so let me ask you: uh, Have you ever had a really good experience, Sharif, of being mentored? I, I think I have, yeah. Okay, I hope so. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was the person mentoring you? Would you describe the way that they were treating you? Was that they were very demanding with you? I, I, I don't think I would describe it that way. No. Okay. So, well, maybe. I mean, it was clear that they had high standards for what. Okay. Kind of what I should do, I think. But maybe it wasn't even framed in terms of what you should do. It's just that yeah, these are like showing you possibilities. Yeah. Like I think that when you think of what does, you know, a really deeply understanding mentor do, which yeah. I think that what they can see in the person that they're, you know, meeting with right now 
is the deep possibilities this person has for growth. Now, that isn't a criticism leveled against the person, right? It's, it's actually a trusting in the person that you can see these, these wonderful possibilities. And so you don't like, help them to realize those possibilities with being demanding on them. You know, uh, what you want is that they see somehow the beauty of an ideal and then you are really practical about helping them to attain it. That's the goal. So, and so there's this combination of being able to see the beauty of an ideal to aim for and then practically taking the you know, steps, coming up with a plan to help you to really make progress on that. Well, I think if, that's, if you would look at the way you have been mentoring others, I'm sure that's what you'd be trying to do is, you know, that that's how we, we don't like motivate people by pressuring them. We motivate people by inspiring them. You know, and, and somehow that means that some, into the, the biggest challenge they're facing, the brightest light of an ideal is now shining, right? And then they come up with practical steps. So, and all of that can unfold in a sense of a cheerful, even like a playful environment. Like there's a setting there that's fun. You know, that no well, fun isn't the goal, but that's the byproduct, right? That it's like somehow it's, it's positive and exciting. Well, I'm saying that we have to be that kind of mentor to ourselves as well. And that we don't get more out of ourselves by being harsh and demanding. Just as if you're helping someone else, you wouldn't get more out of them by being harsh and demanding. You know, instead, you bring the leaven, the light of some kind of ideal into a present challenge so that they, you help the person to see, and you help, in your own case, yourself to see, that the entire past up until that moment is understandable. And the future from that moment on is shapeable. And in mentoring, that's how we approach it, that always, whatever people come to us with, it's understandable. But the future is always shapeable. And that's the same thing inwardly. So whatever happens to show up inside, it can be cheerfully understood and welcomed. And we can maintain, a, I think, a playful, I think playful is the right word, a sense of attitude towards it. Yeah. So, okay. So where do you think this double standard, if you will, comes from where I think maybe a lot of people would, would agree, okay, I don't want to be demanding and pressuring on other people, but then it's okay to do that to myself. And then, so where do you think that comes from? Maybe it's a childhood trauma or something like that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it could be. be no, it very well could be. Yeah. And but I wouldn't, um, these, these things, when it comes from the childhood, it could be a trauma that even the people that were around them didn't see as traumatic, but that the child experienced as traumatic, that they took something really hard, you know, and then they internalized it. I think that's what happens. It gets, it gets patterned by something that, they took it as a criticism. Again, it can happen no matter how loving and kind and patient the people around them are. Mm -hmm. so, so, so do you think that goes along then the, the kind of harshness, um, the interior harshness? Does that go along with, with this kind of, what you just pointed out was really interesting, the misinterpreting what other people say, like feedback and that sort of thing as a criticism? For example, I could imagine if someone said, hey, you have a lot of opportunity to grow. You know, you could take that as an insult. So there's something going on there where the way you, how you think in your internal process and how you interpret what other people say, there's 
a kind of negative lens lens or a negative bias. Yeah. And anytime we focus on outcomes, then we're going to be asking ourselves, are we good enough? So if you're not focused on, say you're like learning to play the piano, if you're just focused on the outcome of impressing your teacher, that, you know, then that's, that's very different than simply focusing on the process of doing the runs, doing the drills, doing the chords. You know, and as, you know, so there's a sense that anytime we focus on an outcome rather than a process, we are going to tend to be judgmental with ourselves. And it could be the people around us are also focused on outcomes and that just compounds it. The same exact thing is at work when you talk about having a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. So if you see yourself as being somehow, you know, you're identified with your own strategies, you know, and then you feel like you fail um, versus you can always have the growth mindset. I can always learn new strategies and only strategies fail. People don't fail. I didn't fail. The strategy failed. And now I'm going to come up with a new one. So I think that there's just so many ways that these lessons can be learned where people think that they will get more out of themselves by being harsh. But that is not true in the case, you know, I think of, of any other person in their life. They're not going to get more out of, you know, if they're a manager and their main way of getting more of the people, you know, that report to them is to be harsh. Well, that's not going to be successful you know, as, as a manager. So it's just funny that, you know, maybe people internalized this harshness as a strategy to get the most out of themselves, and maybe it worked. So maybe they ended up getting into the top universities and getting top jobs. And they think then that they only did it because they're so harsh and demanding on themselves. So it can also happen. These things are reinforced actually by success. But I say success only comes from good strategies they happen to be using, you know, or that they worked on using very intelligently. You know, and this, those, it's the use of the strategies that will give them good results in the future rather than some failed strategy of inner harshness. Mm -hmm. But isn't it the inner harshness that drives the person to then craft better strategies? I mean, that might be a counter argument. I would think that they craft better strategies despite the harshness, you know, and that they, their ability to craft those strategies depends on their creativity and flexibility. And I don't think creativity and flexibility are increased by harshness. So when they're, when people are in threat mode, they tend to double down on what they know and do it more efficiently. So they just want to get something done. Threat mode leads people to conserve creative energy so that they can just finish something. So the threat of being fired, I don't think makes people in work come up with more creative strategies. So it tends to be that People are more driven when they find meaning in something. I think it's the more right-brained you know, approaches of bonds and meaning and ideals that actually bring forth the best energies, the creativity and flexibility in people. Yeah, and like you pointed out, you can't sustain that kind of double life where you're interiorly harsh and exteriorly cheerful. So if if you're actually living for the most important things, which is the bonds with the people around you, then you, you ultimately can't sustain that kind of tension. I think so. And I think others will pick up on it. There are these fascinating studies that have shown that it's uh, that the blood pressure of people in a room with someone who is suppressing anger and not showing it exteriorly all goes up. We're very sensitive, even if the person isn't showing on the outside. Now, again, it's better to not show it if you have it, I think, in general. You know, you don't want to just be venting all the time. 
Um, but at the same time, what's happening is that the person interiorly is somehow bracing themselves against an inner experience, you know, and rejecting it. When people are wide open and letting themselves feel whatever emotion they are, they're having, even say anger that might arise. Say you're in, a, you're in a meeting and anger arises. The more you are willing to let that anger come and you're just understanding with it. Okay, I know this is really pushing a button in me. And imagine greeting that anger, that flash, with a cheerful, hey, okay, I thought you would show up. Here you are. And you greet it. That, I think, would not be experienced by others as anything that, that is particularly threatening. You know, that it's the inner kind of trying to, um, like, you know, like contain the pressure that people can see the effortful containment. But that doesn't happen when you welcome things. So, yeah, I think there's a great time then to get into what to do. I think we have a sense of what we want to aim for, which is this sense of interior cheerfulness and being patient with ourselves. And if we have experienced these negative emotions or negative thoughts that we're just open and accepting and warm. And uh, so what's the best way to go about this? I mean, for, for someone listening to this who now wants to practice. So would you say, okay, the next time that you experience this kind of interior harshness to be warm and accepting? Or what about, is it helpful to be warm and accepting of other people and that then you can learn to like turn that interiorly or should you meditate and practice cheerfulness and gratitude and these kinds of things? Or what, what do you recommend of, of yeah, steps? No, to it's a great, great question. So I see the essence of, you know, cheerfulness is that you have an open acceptance of what is and you can greet it in a warm and even playful way. So if it's like, you know, thinking of the unwanted thought or feeling or the sense of frustration, treating it like an, some, like a messy child who just intruded, you know, in on wherever you are right now. Are you going to just scream at the child and make it go away or just push it out of the door and go back to what you're doing? You know, or do you kind of give it a, a loving, brief greeting, let, you know, and say, okay, and you see what's wrong. You see what it's complaining about. You give it that moment of total attention, and then you do go back to what you're doing. That's a very different inner response than rejecting it. And so there is something fundamental that when something presents itself to our attention, all of our inner, the, there are these circuits that are uh, going to change the salience of that thing to actually sensitize it more and give it more of a charge or desensitize it so that it loses its charge gradually. And all that depends on your inner response toward whatever the intruding thought or feeling is so that you can have a kind of sensitizing reaction or a desensitizing reaction. And the sensitizing reaction simply is rejecting it in some way. Trying to distract yourself, trying to anesthetize yourself, just being busier uh, or just making more effort in some way versus being actually like warm towards it and caring. Now, one of the things that I think is the most striking is that inwardly, ideals are lived in the tone of voice that you use. 
in your own mind. And as you greet something, you can be patient and kind. You can be understanding. You can even be generous. So in a way, you are being totally allowing for whatever shows up. You know, that's the key. There are, there are, there's no bracing yourself against an inner experience. So yes, you do feel it and you're with it for a moment. And then you go back to what you're doing. I, I, as I said in the previous episode, you can reject a thought or feeling 10,000 times in a day that just bounces right back. But I don't think you would warmly greet it even 10 times in a day. When you warmly greet it, it actually tends to then get a little less sensitive you know, and it starts to run its course. And then you don't need to be a kind of Vesuvius with a plug in it trying to keep everything in. There's this inner freedom, this inner sense of, of, of uh, joy and playfulness that you can have in the face of it. Yeah, that's cool. So, okay, you know, I, I'm going to practice this next in, you know, my, my golden hour, my times of work. If I get distracted or if I'm going on YouTube, then I'll, okay, well. That's interesting that I wanted to go on YouTube right now or that I didn't want to work on this thing and that's okay. And but it's probably better that I, you know, go back to this task and, and finish it. So I think that's because I always beat myself up about that, you know. Oh, I, yes. I got distracted. And I think that <clears throat> sometimes people fear that if they are compassionate with themselves or loving with themselves, that they're gonna somehow be overindulgent with themselves. You know, and that as if then in that moment you'd say, oh, you know, okay, I have a desire to check YouTube. I'm just going to throw away my work. Yeah, I'll you know, just finish this video and then watch another one. That's yeah, okay. exactly. But that wouldn't be, if you're thinking about how you would practice being understanding with a child, well, you're not understanding towards a child by giving it everything it wants, right? It requires some shaping. And in many ways, what we're talking about here and how we greet the reactions that come uh, is as if there were a child within us, okay? And you treat these things as the way you treat a child. Yeah, and so we don't want to break, in a sense, the you know the inner rapport with the child. We want to be open to it, understanding with it. You know, all of it can be understood. In some ways, our reactions in the moment are simply our past kind of you know priming showing up now. So, okay, but the less reactive in the negative way we are towards it, the less power it has. And then we end up growing in being understanding, even for others, when we practice being understanding with ourselves. Because we are our own most frequent practice to be forgiving, to be understanding, to be kind and wise and patient, all those ideals. I think that the number one opportunity for practice is always lived inwardly, you know, 10 to one, a hundred to one than with, you know, with other people. But I know in my own case, I annoy myself far, far more than other people annoy me. <laughs> so there's something that you wish could change. You know, it's like you want to be, I don't know, it could be whatever it could be, you know, that you're experiencing. But, and so it's a little bit of discomfort. Okay. But other people generally don't make me uncomfortable. So, but that's where you then practice these ideals. Yeah, that's great. Well, Kevin, I think this might be one of, you know, maybe the most transformative idea we've discussed here on the podcast. So I'm super <laughs> excited about it. Uh, now, I don't know if it's, we're basically out of time now, but I think you have time for a final word if you, if you want it. 
Yeah, so maybe it's just this idea that uh, the more we have an imaginative, playful, flexible way of responding to, to what shows up, the easier it is for us to then simply experience it and move on. So there's a sense of playfulness that we develop inside. You know, there's a sense of good humor that, that we live inwardly. And then it does happen more and more that we do have a playful approach to the rest of life. You know, and that when we're inwardly dour and serious, you know, and then outwardly, we're going to also tend to be overly serious. But there's something about viewing life as a game that I think is like part of this, like this, this is a game in some sense. And what I mean by that is this is something that we can learn to get better and better and better at with practice, just as you would be practicing anything. If you just have a sense that whatever shows up inside, it's going to take practice, but you're going to get really good at it as you would get good at a sport, as you would get good at an instrument or a video game or something. But having a playful but engaged approach actually gives you the most practice. Awesome, Kevin. That's great. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to keep playing the game. I guess, uh, I guess we'll wrap up now. So thanks so much, Kevin, for all these thoughts. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.